0: Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Piano Pop. I'm Clara Zhang.
1: I am Yukimi Song.
0: For anyone listening or watching our show for the first time, welcome. Yukimi and I are both classical pianists and piano teachers from New York City. This podcast is for anyone who plays the piano for fun, loves listening to the piano music, for someone who is currently pursuing a career in piano or works in industry professionally, or anyone who is simply curious about the world of piano music.
1: In each episode, we interview a guest speaker who has been breaking exciting new ground in the music industry. Before getting started, we want to thank our listeners for tuning in. Please rate our show and review it on Apple Podcasts because every rating review will help people find our show.
0: So our guest of today's episode is Zhuhi Nick composers, a teacher, wife and husband do on a project mm. that they refer to as their labor of love, a set of piano pieces for young pianists, a student throughout a theater presser.
1: Mm, wonderful. Yeah, I mean, uh, I've read their bio and they're mm. very interested. They have such a extensive experiences in music, not just limited to one instrument and one genre. So I can't exactly. wait to speak to them
0: right and also very culturally rich you know Mm -hmm. um, musicians so yeah i'm so excited to get this show started i think they're here all right
1: you are listening to the piano pod where we talk to the brightest minds in the industry about how they are bringing the piano into the 21st century we're delighted
0: to introduce our guests of season two, episode fifteen, Juhi Bunso and Nick Gerp. Let me start by introducing Juhi, who is a composer, conductor, and educator, radiant and transcendent. The music of Juhi Benson weaves together themes celebrating musical and cultural divi- diversity, nature and the environment, strong female role models. Her music draws upon elements from Hindu dani music the spectralists progressive metal musical theater and the choral traditions to create deeply expressive sound worlds as an indian composer brought up in hong kong her work draws upon both those traditions with the gestures of western classical music reason Seasons have included commissions from the Los Angeles Philharmonic Association, Bath Marathon Projects, New York Virtual also Singers, and more. Her music is regularly performed throughout the U.S., Europe, and Asia, and is available on the Naxos, Albany, and the Rovan Records labels. She recently serves as a musical faculty member at the Pasadena City College.
1: We are also delighted to introduce contemporary pianist Nick Gerpy, a Los Angeles native who has been hailed as a as magnetic by Dan Johnson from LA Downtown News. LA Times music critic Mark Sweat described his playing as wonderfully illuminating and his tone is crystalline. His technique is dazzlingly fluid. A dedicated proponent of new music, Nick has worked with composers such as Steve Reich, Gernot Wolfgang and Anne LeBaron and has given numerous world premieres in the LA area and abroad. Nick has performed in such venues as Walt Disney Concert Hall and the Wallace Annenberg Center for the Performing Arts. As one of four young pianists featured on LA-based piano Spheres' new Satellite series, he recently performed a critically acclaimed solo recital at the Roy and Edna Disney Cal Arts Theatre. Nick is also a dedicated educator and has been on the piano faculty member of the Pasatina Conservatory of Music since 2006.
0: Great. Juhi and Nick, welcome and we're so happy to have you here. On welcome.
1: Yay. Thank you, Thank you so much. So much. Thank you for having us.
0: That's great. So yeah, it's uh, so great in the very beginning when you contact us, we were so excited and seeing your work and uh, listen to your music and uh, mm especially you know and that knowing that you've been following our podcasting journey and it's just a you know it means so much to us so yeah thank
1: you, thank
0: you. So <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah and a then- fantastic project Thank you so much. Thank really, you. we we appreciate, it. and that was the whole purpose of our, you know, show in the mm-hmm. very beginning when, uh, Yukimi, you know, proposed to me uh, all this idea in the beginning of the uh, pandemic, and we thought like, what's a better way of connecting all the musicians mm-hmm. in the world, right? Okay. And uh, so especially for me, you know, I, we have so many ideas uh, and the questions. But Juhi, I know you grew up in Hong Kong, and. Uh, the language and the culture being, you know, I'm Chinese myself originally, so I'm very curious. So how about we get so
2: started and you tell us a little bit of your background. Sure, um, you know, I have a good friend who calls me culturally conflicted when he's teasing me and I think that's a really good way to describe my background because I'm Indian. Um, I lived in India while I was a kid. I grew up until I was seven years old in India. And, you know, at the time I wasn't studying music, but my mother worked for a long time in Indian classical radio. So I grew up listening to mostly Hindustani classical music. That's like the traditional classical music of India. Yeah. And my family moved to Hong Kong when I was seven. And, you know, there was a lot of culture shock because we've never been out of the country before that. And as you said, the language is different. different. The culture is so different. And... um, It was challenging in some ways, but also exciting in others. And I think, you know, part of that has led me to just as an adult now, I get so excited about learning about other cultures and like getting to know anything, food, music, people from other places, Mm -hmm. because that's just that feels like it's part of my DNA now. Mm. And musically, it was interesting because while I was in Hong Kong, I started doing Western classical music. So piano is my primary instrument. But sure. I did some voice as well, did some piano at school. I was in the Chinese orchestra playing Arhu. Oh um, my gosh, you played Arhu! Oh my <laughs> It's gosh. Amazing. amazing, it's such a cool instrument. Exactly. So kind of all of that organically, I uh, came to the States to study composition when I was 17 and kind of feel like I carried all of that with me, you know, all the cultural influences, all the personal influences and all the musical influences. Kind of, have wow. been a composer since, so carried all of that into my work mm-hmm. is really special
1: and unique you know mm-hmm. yeah yeah but i didn't realize you when you came to went to hong kong that's when you started learning the western tradition of classical music wow that is that is actually really um an in, uh, interesting path to be the composer of you know um music. But I've been listening to your music. And really, it's so magical, because because of that, because of this, you know, background, I think it's just a mix of, you know, Hindustini music with this, um, you know, Western culture, Western classical, and it's just well weaving together it's not it's very organic and yeah it's not you're not trying really hard it's just it really co- comes from your background that's that's really amazing so tell us a little bit more about your compositional style right so Hindustani music maybe some Cantonese tradition maybe sometimes do you get that sort of influence and then I, I read your bio and it's spectralist spectralism and uh, a progress of metal whatever the, <laughs> and chorale. I mean listen to your music and so much
0: variety of things
1: I, I know so it's, it's so cool so your your the way you're thinking of music is uh, probably it's the sound first right because me I'm a very stereotypical classical musician where we think of uh, tone phrase but it, that's not the case so tell us more about your compositional style.
2: Sure. I mean, you know, it's almost hard to describe. That's one of the tricky questions. How do you describe music without the music? Mm-hmm. But um, mm-hmm. for me, the process, it changes a lot depending on what the exact pieces that I'm writing. Mm-hmm. So you mentioned this idea of starting with sound. That's absolutely true. So I'll give an example. One of the recent pieces I just had premiered a couple of weeks ago was an orchestra piece for the Oregon Mozart players and for me music usually starts with some kind of inspiration so for this piece, that piece in particular um it was hearing humpback whale song underwater that a uh, few years ago i had been diving and it was the most incredible experience hearing them sing because uh, you hear it through what was magical about it is that it's not pure song it's through the sound of the water right it's through moving water it's through kind of noise from fish eating which are incredibly noisy. I never realized that till I started having fish (laughs) eating. They're very noisy. Amazing. Um, But so kind of starting with that and trying to decide how to put it into music. Mm. And that led me to a couple of things. One is I wanted it to be kind of an immersive experience for the audience. Mm. So that particular piece was for the orchestra, but we decided to pull out a couple of string quartets from the strings to surround the audience. Kind of that's in some ways a spectralist technique, not exactly, but a little bit kind of this idea of creating sound and an immersion around you. And then for that piece in particular, and I'll admit, I find excuses to lean a little bit into Hindustani music, just because that is so much a part of what I grew up with as well. Mm. But in that piece, I wanted to do some things that were kind of evocative of whale sound or whale song. So kind of, you know, I thought normal melody, like Western melodies would feel too normal. You can certainly do that. But it, the whole point is that they're coming from a different creature. It feels very otherworldly when you feel it. So I try to lean into some of the ornamentation, particularly in the really long glissandos you get in Hindustani music. And for most of my projects, it's something like that. You know, you kind of you figure out who you're writing for, what the initial inspiration or prompt is. And one of the things I love about being a composer these days is that there's this freedom that you can pull on anything and everything. So you can think about the melody and the harmony first, and sometimes I do that. But other times you're thinking about, well, what kind of sound effects or what kind of gestures or what kind of immersive things? Um, and it's, it's, it's amazing. It's kind of an adventure with each new piece.
0: It's just such an amazing thing that you are able to draw inspiration from say you know the water right so that's you know and then i i believe i remember at our pre uh interview you were saying that you start off with just as a pianist and then later on you start a composition that is you know really really cool and now you know i i'm also curious and nick um you know obviously we want to hear a lot about you as well but uh both of you working together do you guys inspire each other or you know nick what was your background like
3: well, um, I don't have the uh, international cosmopolitan background that he uh, <laughs> right. does. I'm actually bringing Americanness. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, pretty much. You know, so I guess uh, in a way, I'm a little bit of a uh, stereotype uh, of um, one of my friends from uh, New York gives me a hard time. He's like, you know, you LA people, you're born there and you never leave. Um, <laughs> I'm actually a, a local boy. I uh, was born and raised in Pasadena, and no. um, I went to USC for, you know, all my undergrad, for my master's, and my DMA. Um, when I was a kid, I grew up um, listening to music, but not so much classical. I mean, my dad mm-hmm. has always been, uh, for as long as I can remember, a, a you know guitarist and um so i remember you know listening to him play and he would play a variety of stuff from finger style to you know rock music and jazz and stuff and so that's a lot of what i was listening to was stuff that my dad um exposed me to various classic rock things or jazz and jazz fusion things or else mm-hmm. finger style things as well both of my parents really loved um you know, loved oldies, you know, Smokey Robinson and this kind of thing. It was kind of a thing like Sunday morning (laughs) pancake breakfast and Smokey Robinson kind of deal. Um, (laughs) So I, you know, when I was a kid, I thought that, you know, I was going to kind of do what my dad did and pick Mm -hmm. up the guitar and do that. And then I remember really, really, really clearly sitting in the kitchen at my parents' house one day. I was around seven or eight years old and, um, my mom was on the phone and she randomly leans over to me and kind of puts her hand over the mouthpiece. And she says, no, Hey, do you want to take piano lessons?
0: Said,
3: sure. Random so.
0: their questions, right? And,
3: well, the, the random question came about, um, <laughs> the person on the other end of the line was this uh, very dear friend of hers who was going through a, a separation <laughs> and she and her, oh husband had this piano at their house that now they were going to have to figure out what to do with and she offered it to my mom she said you guys can have this piano if you pay the moving costs basically <laughs> right. and so that's how we ended up with a piano in my house and that's how i ended up playing the instrument and mm-hmm. uh, you that's know amazing. really fell in love with it mm-hmm. and um, you know my first piano teacher um, he was a jazz pianist who played classical music and taught the the standard repertoire. Mm-hmm. So, you know, then again, it became, you know, I became acquainted with classical music, but I really thought now, okay, well, I'm studying with a jazz guy. I like jazz. Mm-hmm. I really want to maybe be like the next Chick Corea or Herbie Hancock. Uh-huh. And again, my, da- my dad kind of, uh, you know, sent me down a slightly different path. You know, one day he gave me these, um, Albums of the the British uh, progressive rock band Emerson Lake and Palmer, and um, mm. the center the, the the Keith Emerson was mm. the um, the pianist and keyboardist. And what was amazing to me was not just this trio's incredible original compositions, but also their transcriptions of mm. folks like Bartok, of Ginastera, mm. of Janacek, of Copland. Sure. Um, and so the first time I heard any of these things was through this incredible filter of, you know, ELP's electrified rock transcriptions, right? And then I was, you know, you look at the the program notes and you're like, mm. who is this Bartok guy? I'm going to go look this up. And so mm. you know, down the rabbit hole we went, mm. and I go and listen to you know, music of Bartok or music of mm. Stata. I mean, I'm sure you two know Ginastera's piano mm. solo music or like his piano concerti you are mm-hmm. amazing. And right. so yep. I just, mm-hmm. I thought, I heard this stuff and thought, OK, now I figured it out. This is what mm. I want to do. This is
1: yeah. what I want to
3: do.
1: Yeah, it's always that one thing. and But also, one thing led to another, right? And that makes really who you are as a musician, too. And that's yeah. very interesting, especially, uh, you guys both have very um, different backgrounds, but just meet in the middle, like Western. I guess, classical tradition, but you are finding your own way of expressing yourselves through that tradition. So I I really want to know more about that. Juhi, I want to know more about this project that you've done maybe a couple years ago, Waves of Change. And I watched the video clip. And it's just, uh, it's incredible because uh, I watched it, but the experience that I I went through, through that video clip with the music, it was just, uh, I can't quite describe. Emotion just came to, to it first. And then I watched it again just before this interview and I didn't realize it was about the surfer facing the wave because surfing is about facing the wave and overcome, right? And I'm not a surfer, so I'm not quite sure, but she tries a few times and then toward the end, I mean it's a, a little spoiler alert but she's in the middle of the ocean so it just tells me something but please tell me about the story what the background of this video project first
2: or sure. i mean it means a lot to me that you enjoyed that so i'll just say thank you first mm-hmm. for that um this was a piece around during the pandemic i think this would have been early 2020 mm-hmm. when everything was getting cancelled left and right and you know right. all the local series had to just anything you had planned live was suddenly just gone. Mm-hmm. Um, there was an opera festival called the Prototype Festival in New York. They reached out to me and it was 13 other, 13 composers in total, so 12 other composers, mm-hmm. um, because they had decided to pivot, given the the limitations of the pandemic, to build kind of a digital festival, basically. Mm-hmm. And they had chosen three themes. I think it was identity, fear, and loneliness, kind of topics that were coming up a lot during the mm-hmm. first part of the pandemic. And they commissioned each of us to create a small piece, and we mm-hmm. had kind of a budget to work with, and then we could do whatever we wanted to. Mm-hmm. So for me, you know, I remember thinking about this idea of identity. And what came to my mind with that as a prompt was um, there's this group I had volunteered with a few years ago called the Bangladesh Girls Surf Club, Mm. and they've gone through a few name changes since then, (laughs) Mm. Um, but they started as the Bangladesh Girls Surf Club. And I just, I remember this story was so powerful to me. Uh, Basically, it is in Cox Bazaar, which is one of the longest stretches of beach in the world and also one of the poorest parts of the world. Mm. Um, it's kind of, it's a culture where girls are normally married away between the ages of 11 to 13 because their families can't afford to feed Mm. them, can't afford to support them. Girls don't get an education. And there was this group of girls walking on the beach one day selling trinkets as they do and they saw a lifeguard surfing. So they asked him to teach them. Mm. And from that, it turned into not just surfing, but also a school for the girls. So this was the first time they were getting any kind of an education. Mm. Um, It was also food aid for their families so that Mm. the families are not feeling pressure to marry them away so early. Mm. And kind of, it was interesting because surfing opened the door for these girls into all these other things. I mean, they're thinking about, now some of them are talking about becoming doctors and lawyers and going to college, things that were unthinkable (sighs) even a few years before. Wow. So this was like... I mean, it was incredible. And the girls are so brave and so strong. And there's still a lot of elements of culture clash there. It's like they're really brave for chasing this, Mm. but they're still in a society where they're not allowed to, you know, they get yelled at every time they go in the water. Um, Mm. They've been locked out of their stuff has been stolen because people think it's so inappropriate that these girls are just choosing anything for themselves. So Mm the inspiration there for the piece was that and i wanted to do something that as much as possible would make the audience kind of feel something Mm. about this girl's story because it is so unique Mm. you know it's not something i think a lot of people have a lot of entryways into understanding but maybe we could make music to make them feel something of that Mm. so the main idea of the piece was and we filmed it here in los angeles because that was kind of that was COVID; nobody could go anywhere right right um and the music features in the foreground, there's a Western soprano and a Hindustani soprano, yes. mm-hmm. and they have the same text. But I, I wanted to kind of embody that sense of culture clash. So it's the same text, but treated in two very different ways in the two voices.
1: Wow, wow. really? That's Then the video came later, or did you try to match your uh, music to the video? How did it work?
2: That's a great question. We kind of did them side by side. Mm -hmm. So it was such a collaborative project. The videographer I was working with, he saw my initial storyboard and he heard the music. So it was interesting in that the music came actually first, if anything. And then we're going on location and filming as best as we can. And Mm -hmm. one thing I love about that collaborative process is kind of the ideas that come from other people. So Miguel Galindo is the videographer. Mm -hmm. He had all these cool ideas about like, how do we really convey the struggle Mm -hmm. through showing this girl kind of get tossed around by the waves and submerged in the waves and kind of mm. that idea of pulling out at the end with a long drone shot. So you kind of feel this sense of lightning.
1: Mm hmm. I mean, I felt it through, especially through music and it was really beautiful. Now, that tells me a lot about you know, music I'm is... cheating a little,
0: <laughs> I mean, I'm just like, you know, I listened to it the other day, but right mm-hmm. now, as we're, you know, I'm clicking on it again, it just calms me down, you know, especially, mm-hmm. especially on like a busy day, you know, this is such a beautiful music, I really love it.
1: Yeah, and then the. Yeah, tells- going yeah it tells me the power of music and this is something that i want to teach my students you know the music can you're not just playing the piano and you're doing all these exercises for nothing but you can change the world you can bring certain attention uh, certain things to attention right so well that's good. and then also i want to know about the another project that you've done it's an opera I, i'm very curious to know about uh ada lovelace and then uh, when i was going through it. That name of the opera is Edge of a Dream.
2: So it's kind of there's actually two different versions of the Ada Lovelace opera. Okay, an adult version, which is Enchantress of Numbers, and then LA Opera had commissioned, this was actually also during the pandemic, Mm -hmm. um, kind of both around the same time, they have a youth in opera program where what they'll do is they'll partner with K K through 12 schools. And they have a number of shows that in normal years, they'll go in and they'll rehearse with the students. And at the end of, you know, the, the semester, there'll be a show put on of whatever the opera was. And of course the pandemic hit and kind of the same thing. You're trying to figure out what to do. And I had been talking to them already about wanting to do something about Ada Lovelace because mm. I and my librettist Neil can we were working on the adult opera at that time. And... You know they reached back out once the pandemic hit and they're like this sounds like a perfect project can we do it in a version digitally Mm. so if i go back a step ada lovelace for anybody who doesn't know who she is is this fascinating character she was um a young woman in 19th century england like Mm. 1830s 1840s who was a very gifted mathematician and um, inventor and Mm. she's sort of credited for writing the first algorithm Mm -hmm. and I thought you know I started when I was at college first I was doing a double major with computer science which I didn't finish because you know music is just so all-encompassing but I remember doing those classes for a couple of years and still never having heard of this woman Mm -hmm. and I thought how strange it is that you can Mm -hmm. be in that field and still not even know her name you know Mm, mm. so i wanted to use it since we were writing something for children anyway to kind of give girls who might be interested in stem specifically Mm. a role model for that and then more broadly ada's story i think is about kind of having the courage to be yourself no matter what the world around you is telling you that you should be Mm. so it was actually really fun i'd never done a youth opera before that um and then it was interesting because everything was being rehearsed over zoom so all these issues of like delays they're coaching these students some of whom have never sung before
3: <laughs> over
2: zoom and teaching them how to record and i think finally they made their graphic novel version the students took photos and they had mm. an artist kind of turn these stylize them and turn them into black and white but uh, wow. i thought it was the kind of thing ada herself would have appreciated because <laughs> she was like so far ahead of her contemporaries and seeing what you wow. might do with computers
1: so, yeah, right. exactly. Yeah, she's the one who basically thought of computer as not just a computing machine, but like being able to use it in on, in a, on a daily basis. Right. Yeah. And yes, then, exactly. yeah, I'm, I'm studying a little bit of, about, you know, uh, blockchain and crypto and things. And then uh, one of the platforms, uh, it's called Cardano. Uh, they named their uh, big, um, you know, crypto coin as Ada, A-D-A, because uh, to, you know, name after, named after Ada Lovelace. And I was just so curious about how come did you uh, make the opera out of her name, so.
0: Now, Nick, I would like to know, I mean, first of all, as a, you know, husband and wife, uh, I guess you guys are not duos. I mean, do you play together or do you ever do any collaboration together? Or uh, I know you guys wrote a a series of uh, children's book where, music for uh, younger students is that right could you guys talk about a little bit more
3: yeah so this? as far as playing together I think we've only ever actually played a piano hands piece a total of one time hey. but um <laughs> as far as collaborative stuff uh yeah absolutely I mean mm. she's written for me both solo piano works and also um I, I'm also in a a duo with a violinist she's written a couple of uh pieces for us um as well when she's written stuff that requires a pianist um I I often will get the first call for it <laughs> right
0: That's and great. um
3: you know I commissioned her recently to uh, write a piece as part of um a uh, a project I'm working on um mm. revolving around the macrocosmos of George Crumb That's right but um as far as the the pedagogical pieces um you know i of course in my teaching teach standard repertoire so um we do a lot of stuff with um different composers from different eras Mm -hmm. and often well i should say the kind of impetus for this in a way is that the conservatory where i teach we do the piano department every year has a composer of the year, and we sort of rotate through um, we do essentially one composer from one era every year, right? So usually our baroque composer is Bach, most often. Wow. Um, classical composer. we've done Haydn, we've done Beethoven. Um, romantic, we've had, you know, Schumann. Um, Gerlitz, Bergmuller. Mm. And, uh, you know, in the 20th century, we've done Bartók and Kabalevsky and Shostakovich and Prokofiev. They all have really incredible teaching Mm. pieces in addition to their concert works. Mm. Um, But finding stuff written by living composers Mm. for a younger audience is often kind of difficult. And it's That's it's true. sort of a strange thing because I find often that kids are the most receptive people to contemporary music. You know, mm, they, they haven't yes. formed these biases that adults often have. You know, it's like oh, new music is going to be harsh and dissonant and hard to listen to. Um, exactly. So I, uh, we were just having a conversation one day, and she had this idea of why don't I write some pieces for your studio, and um, your kids can premiere them. Mm. And it was like, well, that sounds really great. I mean, my kids are going to love this. And I had um, eight or nine of them who were really, it, it was really kind of an interesting thing because they were all at slightly different levels. And so we thought, well, this mm. would be perfect to kind of model it as a, a progressive sort of uh, volume with each piece mm. increasing in difficulty. And mm. each one focuses on Slightly different challenges. So there's certain ones that have uh, really interesting harmonic things that might have, you know, something that's very modal or mm-hmm. some kind of little chord cluster thing mm-hmm. or um, something with changing time signatures uh, or mixed meter um, right. to really introduce many of these uh, 20th and 21st century mm-hmm. challenges in a way that's also very accessible so the pieces are um you know the the entire volume is called travels and Mm -hmm. both of us are very much into hiking and backpacking and whatnot so every (laughs) Mm -hmm. piece is kind of a almost like a little californians right (laughs) (laughs) yeah something like that yeah but every piece is a sort of musical postcard from this different outdoor place that we. oh wow so you know as far as the actual Collaborative process. Um, Mm -hmm. It was, uh, you know, she did truthfully most of the heavy lifting as far as the writing the pieces and whatnot. And uh, Mm -hmm. then it was, you know, I would take them and play them and add fingerings and, you know, figure out uh, would this work for a student's Mm -hmm. hand, for example, you know, as opposed to my hand, you know, Mm -hmm. things, you know, issues like that, like just playability for a a younger person. That's great. You
1: know, the other day, we um, locally, we had this teachers meeting. And then I attended, there was this uh, workshop about contemporary and also diverse uh, pieces by diverse composers. And then she was giving us the presentation. And then she assigned us like audience like to create like an hour, an hour uh, uh, program where you in, you know, you're encouraged to insert a lot of uh, compositions by contemporary composers or composers of color and whatnot. Women and then, composers. Right, yeah, female composers, basically diversity, right? And then, but I want you to create, we want you to create the, um, uh, the program for intermediate students. And they immediately I raise my hand. I know this composer Shuhi Bansal. That's she right. Did. She has this series of, you know, we so pizza. Yeah, yeah, we were so proud. <laughs> so <laughs> what do you think this mm, I want to be more knowledgeable of contemporary music too, but I tend to go to you know usual suspects you know what i mean like when i teach music even when i play the piano like i tend to go you know schubert Schubert. i mean they are incredible artists they were but basically they're uh they've been dead for how many hundred of years so we're really use you know playing something old and then that music is not really representing our lives right so what do you think of that? How can we really bring this contemporary music be part of our lives? What do you think? What do you think we should do, both of you? I'm asking both of you.
2: Nick, think why don't you go first, and I'll jump in after. Okay. Uh,
3: okay. Well, I would say that um, you know, just speaking from a a standpoint of um, you know where where we're at in L.A., we have so much support um, mm-hmm. in in town for contemporary music. I mean. There are so many different series um in town and so many different groups that um do contemporary stuff i mean from the la phil um particularly mm. like their green umbrella series to um, all oh. kinds of different festivals in town you know here now festival is a is a big one mm-hmm. um ohai music festival for example mm-hmm. um while not la exactly it's you know it's not particularly far and they have a big tradition of uh new music mm. um and there are so many different uh ensembles and whatnot that focus on contemporary music here so it's very easy and accessible here mm-hmm. to find um really what's what's current you know mm. um and so i would say that you know as uh, as teachers especially like you it's really important for us just to Educate ourselves as far as you know who's writing music right now. Wh- who mm. are the the composers who are um, being featured on various orchestra concerts or all of these various series, and go check out their music. Mm. And um, you know, really to become knowledgeable, and then you can then you can pass that on to your students mm. and find um, music that you can give them to listen to and to play. Mm. Um, you know, and. Uh, a lot of what I, I, I think about a lot um, both in my playing and programming of concerts and what I try to give to my students um, is that at, at one point Schumann and Chopin were contemporary music. Mm. they mm. were absolutely mo- modern mm-hmm. artists mm-hmm. and you know Beethoven, not always uh, not always particularly. Understood by mm. audiences and critics, right? They were <laughs> once alive and new. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Mm. And so the idea being that you know what what we're doing is mm. you know it's a living art. We are connected to this history and continuing with a tradition. I I don't think that it's standard repertoire or contemporary music. Like mm. for me, it's really. It's a continuum, right? It's it's a, a continuing history. It's still evolving. It's a living and um, a developing art form. And for me, both as a player and a teacher, you know, I really I feel like in working with living composers and with really trying to understand uh, history, it connects me better to the composers of the past. Mm-hmm. than if I didn't do contemporary stuff at all. You know, it kind mm-hmm. of puts the, the context of, you know, all these these folks were, were living and breathing people at one point.
2: Mm-hmm. One other, uh, maybe two things I would say to add to that. One is that I remember having this conversation with somebody recently about mm-hmm. kind of people's reactions to contemporary music. Mm -hmm. And kind of, I think TV is a pretty good analogy to that. It's like, you think about if you watch a TV show, a Mm -hmm. current TV show that you don't like, we never decide that, well, I just hate normal current TV. Nobody says I hate contemporary TV. You Mm -hmm. say, I didn't like that show. Mm -hmm. And I think music is, should be kind of the same way. I mean, as Mm -hmm. you are exploring, you know, what you're talking about, trying to hunt down different types of contemporary music, Mm -hmm. trying to find stuff that doesn't work for you and stuff that doesn't work for your students and that just subjectively you don't like Mm. and that needs to be totally okay but that shouldn't shut you off from all the rest of contemporary music because the cool thing about music right now is that it's all these different things depending on who's writing it there's no really we say contemporary music as if it's one thing but that's a meaningless description it just means it's being written now in time and doesn't mean anything about how it sounds Mm. um as far as sort of specific places to look for music Nick, chime in if you know any others. YouTube seems silly, but it's one of the most obvious ones. No,
3: YouTube's great for that. I'm
2: shocked. You know, it's so easy these days to put everything up online. Um, um, if you just look for playlists, and I have a series of playlists on music by women composers kind of separated out by instrumentation. I know there's other organizations that do the same. There are a couple of big channels. George Giannopoulos is one. I can yeah, think that of one's great. I mm-hmm. um, that also feature contemporary music. YouTube is actually probably one of the easiest places if you just kind of type in what you're looking for, like an instrumentation, some basic description. Hmm. Maybe
3: now, uh,
1: also, how? What do you think about like any? Is there any Facebook group of contemporary music?
3: Sure. I mean, I'm a member of a, a, a bunch of them. One of them that comes immediately to mind is Los Angeles Contemporary Music Enthusiasts.
1: Mm-hmm. wow. Cool.
3: So, but there I mean there's a, a plethora of these, you know, mm-hmm. and you just punch it into the the search bar of Facebook and mm-hmm. you should be able to find something. Yeah. You um, know I,
1: watch- mm-hmm. as a as a podcaster, you know, the one of the reasons I started this to have this conversation and stimulate and bring this, you know, different things about music into one place and, you know, tell people about it, right? So um, yeah, so what should we do? What, what? Is there any, hmm, like a website or how can we always be in touch with that world of contemporary music? Sometimes, you know, like, because classical, especially being a pianist and it tend to be on this traditional side, it's very easy because that's very familiar to me. You know what I mean? Like all the training and even the books I have here is so traditional and they're wonderful, but it's a very easy way to get to for me. So it takes a little bit more mm, to 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 be in the contemporary music world. Uh, To be honest, I should be I should be really more open. I am open minded, but so what what do you think the best way? Is there any group I should be part of it like as a teacher or? Do you know anything?
3: I would say you know look at resources like um, New Music USA, American Composers Forum, New -hmm. Music Box. All of these are good places to kind of get a like general sense of what's going on. Mm -hmm. Um, For me personally, a lot of a lot of the knowledge is uh, in just being inquisitive. And you know, if I if I let's say I play a piece by a certain composer that I really like and I might then just go to their website and see, hey, what else has this person written for solo piano? Or mm-hmm. what else has this person written? You know, I, I've had to do a lot of searching for programming for me and my violin duo partner, for example. Mm-hmm. And so right. you just kind of go hunting for stuff. And mm-hmm. uh, I would look, I would look also at, you know, pianists who do a lot of contemporary music, look at what they're programming on their concerts. Mm-hmm. And make lists of these composers for yourself, and Mm. you know now the nice thing is nowadays basically everybody has a website and a YouTube channel and maybe a Vimeo, you know, all these.
0: Mm -hmm. Also, just social media. Yeah, social media in general.
3: So it's really easy. You know, I just on my computer, for example, I have a uh, a couple of files. It's like piano solo repertoire wish list. You know, it's like Mm. you know this the I. You know, I might go to a concert and hear this composer's music and go check it out and find that, oh wow, they have XYZ A B C things for right. my instruments or yeah. a group I might be playing with. Yeah. And then, you know, invariably that leads you to, Well, this person studied with such and such. I'm gonna go check and so check out so and so's music also. Right. And so you just kinda keep expanding your 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 web of knowledge and um you know, yeah. for, for me, a lot of it really has, you know, there are absolutely these resources, but a lot of it's just going and uh, hunting these things down. But I mean, it's with as many resources as we have with social media and just search engines and, and stuff. It's, it's really, really quite easy mm. to find.
2: I right. I think, you know, it does sort of bring up an interesting point though, Yukimi. You're right, it takes extra work often to find the contemporary things I know I can't remember the names off the top of my head but I'm happy to send them to you after this conversation Mm -hmm. I know there are a couple of publishers that have these like collections basically of contemporary pieces Mm -hmm. graded by level which are a pretty good place to start
0: Mm
2: -hmm. um they're certainly not the end of the conversation I would say what Nick described like play through them take a look if you like the pieces look up the composer see who else is kind of connected to that Mm -hmm. um but I think those are actually, they're a pl- pretty good place to start. I'm blanking on the names right now, but I know there's at least one that is graded piano music by women composers and a couple yeah, of others um, that are just contemporary.
3: Hmm. Yeah, I was uh, just mentioning that, like for example, um, Francis Clark Music Library, if you're looking specifically for teaching pieces, yes. mm-hmm. they have, for example, here's our you know 20th century mm-hmm. um, series, you know, um, mm-hmm. another one, the, the, um, Royal Conservatory, the the celebration series, for instance. Again, if you're thinking specifically for pedagogical works. Mm -hmm. Um, And again, it's nice because then you look at some of the composers and you just go find their other music. And, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, it's one one of the ways I discovered this really um, well, there's a a very fantastic Canadian composer named uh, Alexina Louis who. she has one or two pieces. I mean, she writes incredible concert music. I've played a couple of her solo piano pieces in concert, but, um, you know, I noticed I was teaching one of my students out of, uh, I can't can't even remember which level of the Celebration series, but one of Alexina's pieces showed up and I was like, I didn't realize she wrote teaching pieces. And sure enough, she's got this incredible set of um what is it called starlight starbright it's this you know again Mm -hmm. this collection of progressive Mm -hmm. uh possibly more difficult pieces Mm -hmm. and there's they're super appealing um you know very evocative um works Mm -hmm.
0: sometimes surprises just come you know during exploration when we're curious there are always things that comes up speaking of uh, you know nick i listened uh to this I think it was called a Talk It Out. Uh, it's a, uh, a yeah. trail of yours and uh, by Timothy Peterson. Timothy Peterson, tell us? that's right. Yeah, I mean, I played it with a, a percussion band when I was in Kansas when I sure. first came to this country. So I was like really intrigued by this uh, yeah. ensemble. Tell us.
3: So um, so Timothy Peterson is a LA-based composer. and um, mm-hmm. I mentioned earlier the Here Now Music Festival and Here Now is an annual festival of L.A. composers. And so so what they do is um, they solicit composers to submit works and then their panel listens and they'll select a certain number. Um, Here Now usually does. Actually, they're going to start their festival tomorrow and they'll have three concerts. It's uh, like a Friday friday Saturday Sunday kind of thing, and so you know every concert has a completely different program of local composers, and it's music that was um, it's all kinds of different orchestrations and ensembles right and so this piece um, they uh, they you know I'm on their their list I, uh, for performers, I've played for this festival for several years and so they sent me this piece it's, uh, it was asking hey do you want to play this for, you know premiere this for the festival and this was back in 2019 and
0: mm. so okay pre-pandemic you know, the pre-pandemic, world. pre-pandemic exactly. <laughs> it's like last so, century <laughs> yeah,
3: sure feels like it um so anyway they sent send me the piece and um it had been premiered but um so this was going to be a West Coast premiere. It was it was premiered mm-hmm. back east somewhere. I can't remember where off the top of my head. But mm-hmm. the composer sent the score and he sent a MIDI realization. And then I listened to the realization and read through the score. And I was thinking, oh my gosh, this is such a cool piece. Yeah, I really mm-hmm. want to play this. So I told him, yeah, I'll do it. This is great. Mm-hmm. And so I learned the piece and had it under my fingers and ready to go. And then, of course, COVID happened and um Mm -hmm. everything got shut down and so they were trying to kind of like everybody else trying to sort of find their way with okay how do we proceed now and so they found a venue to do these recordings of the Mm -hmm. pieces rather than um doing them live and so the recordings got it's kind of funny because we we would have the piece ready to go and then the recording would get postponed. Mm. it's like, well, all right, I'll <laughs> right. see you in six months, I guess. Mm. And so it'd get re- you know, postponed again. And finally, 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 we were able to do them last summer. This There were two trios. One was Timmy Peterson's, and one was uh, by Gernot Wolfgang that I did. And so they did this mm. virtual festival thing where we um, recorded all of the pieces um, at this really beautiful studio out in uh, Woodland Hills. And mm. then they would release them over the course of a week as a virtual festival. But uh, see. as far as the the, the piece, um, Timmy Peterson talks about how this piece is really inspired by um, the conversational qualities mm. of jazz um, performance, particularly improv- improvisation. Mm-hmm. And what's oh, kind of wow. interesting is there's no improvisation at all in the piece. It's like mm. fully, 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 fully notated. Wow. Um, and it's it's definitely got some You know, because trying to notate what a jazz player does in an improvisation Mm -hmm. as far as Mm -hmm. rhythm and inflections and whatnot, it's actually... That's hard. It's really (laughs) rather difficult. And so, you know, it was was really interesting Mm -hmm. having this score presented where, you know, you see all of it fully Mm -hmm. written out. And, you know, I I, I love jazz music, but Mm -hmm. I don't don't play it and so you guys
0: are both classical musicians yeah, starting exactly. out right exactly that's amazing that so, you tap into all these different worlds you know? i know yeah. and yeah. you yeah. know so
3: t- and timmy really i think successfully mm-hmm. pulls us off with this piece it's um you know it's really high energy it's definitely recognizable as jazz inspired but there's also within it um a lot of very kind of modernist sounding stuff there's this particular mm-hmm. section where every time i play it i think oh, this, this is kind of Reminiscent of Messian without being Messian, you know. Wow. Just for example, and there's a certain like, right. lyricism in the piece and everything. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. what's interesting too about him is, uh, you know, kind of like what Juhi was talking about earlier mm-hmm. um, with composition is, you know, he co- he comes to this piece with a this idea of inspired mm-hmm. by these elements of jazz music. Mm-hmm. Um, but kind of anything goes and so i'd listen to some of his other pieces for mm. voice and piano for example mm. or i uh, i commissioned him to write a solo piano piece for me for this other mm. project it's, you know like a 3 minute solo piano piece and they are completely different like you mm. would almost not guess that they were written by the same guy other than that they're just fantastic music right uh, you know there are a couple of little harmonic mm. things that you, you detect oh okay here's yeah okay that is that is him but um they're they're equally well crafted and equally successful compositions mm. but the stylistically night and day different and wow. uh,
1: you have the, such a sense of background you know like uh, I, I, but when I watched that video, I thought you you can actually play the jazz music. I thought it was <laughs> well, <that's laughs> I, you were improvising. I thought you I were a jazz musician. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, until you told me. That's so. very high
3: praise. Cause, uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm not a jazz player and I uh, mm-hmm. you know, I don't even but play.
1: But you really capture that, I think, because you were listening to different uh, kind of music growing up, and so it shows. But... I also, yeah, yeah, exactly. So I also want to find out about your influence by George Crumb, right? So you have this project of Macrocosmos 50 to celebrate the 50th year uh, of that uh, uh, volume one, right? And I was listening today on YouTube, Macrocosmos number 10 and 11 on YouTube performed by you. So um, tell me, just tell us briefly about the project.
3: Sure. Well, George Crumb has been one of my favorite composers for mm. a long, long time. Mm. Um, when I was an undergrad, I, I got turned on to his music. And um, particularly, um, there's a, a trio for piano, cello, and flute called Vox Ballenae, the voice of the whale, mm. as well as a, a solo piano suite. Uh, there's a seven movement piece called A Little Suite for Christmas. Mm. And... I listened to these pieces and played them, and the sound world that he creates is just so mm. unique and individualistic. Mm. And it's incredible. I mean, he was really a pioneer as far as um, utilizing the full um, color palette available to the piano, particularly as regards um extended piano techniques right so Mm -hmm. playing inside of the piano and doing Mm. all these different effects um you know plucking the strings strumming the strings Mm -hmm. harmonics muting all -hmm. that good stuff in addition to all these theatrical things that he asks for you to do like whistling or chanting or shouting or moaning like a ghost (laughs) (laughs) yes yes Um, so i've you know ever since i heard it i just fell in love with this sound world and this piece in particular macrocosmos volume one so when i was a uh, a doctoral student at usc one of well i should say one of the faculty at usc and mm-hmm. one of my inspirations um there was uh, dr stuart gordon and oh he, yes he yes. was not my primary he was not my primary mm-hmm. teacher although i you know i took several classes from him you know he taught mm-hmm. the piano literature classes
1: right i time. i used to have his book textbook yeah uh-huh. yeah, yeah absolutely exactly. so you yeah. know him
3: Mm -hmm. so you know i i don't know if people quite realize this about dr gordon i mean because you know his his knowledge of the repertoire is just encyclopedic Mm -hmm. i mean right he's forgotten more about music than i'll ever know Mm -hmm. um so you know he edited um and put out his edition of like the beethoven sonatas for example Mm -hmm. but he's also a complete master of this piece macrocosmos one and he's. (sighs) studied it with mm-hmm. David Burge who is the pianist yes. who it was written for. Yes. Yes. And so I'd heard him play it at USC and I was mm-hmm. just like, "Oh my god, I got to I have to play that. It's amazing." Mm-hmm. And so for my doctorate, you know, we had to at USC we do DMA, so we have to do a, a lecture recital. And so mm-hmm. I was I decided I wanted to do this piece and mm-hmm. um, my teacher said, "Well, go study, go take a semester and study it with Dr. Gordon. You'll never get a better Source Mm. for how to do this piece, and so I did, and so it was amazing. Like kind of, you know, being able to to not only study with him as he's Mm. an incredible teacher, but um, to kind of have this progression of you know, Mm. Dr. Gordon to David Burge to Crum, you know, this Mm. kind of lineage of the piece. And uh, so it's a piece that uh, there's a lot of um, Crum deals with a lot of big extra musical associations Mm -hmm. in the piece, these incredible lines of poetry by uh, Pascal and uh, Rilke, and Mm -hmm. just these big metaphysical and cosmic ideas. Mm -hmm. Um, And also, you know, the piece is, um, you know, he talks about it reflecting his admiration for two great 20th century composers, Bartok. Mm. Um, and, of course, the title is a play on the microcosmos. Exactly. Yes. And then he also talked about writing these 12 fantasy pieces being, you know, the structure mm. and format being um, linked to Debussy's preludes. Oh, preludes. Yes, yes. And in fact, Crum mm. wrote the second volume of Macrocosmos, which came the year later 1973, mm. is another 12 volume set. So now he has these two sets of 12 like the two. Just like Debussy. Yeah. Preludes, right? Wow. But the pieces are also there's all these like layers to this piece, Mm -hmm. you know, and every piece he calls it twelve fantasy pieces on the signs of the zodiac, and so Mm -hmm. every movement is supposed Mm -hmm. to in some way uh, reference a different zodiac sign. And in addition, at the end of every movement, Mm -hmm. Crumb puts a set of initials, and the Mm -hmm. initials are a friend or a family member or a colleague Mm -hmm. or a teacher or some musical influence. Mm um who falls under that sign you know wow and so there's like (laughs) he's like astrologist (laughs) basically yeah and Mm. um so there are just all of these layers upon Mm. layers upon layers in this piece and it's so special to me um Mm. just artistically (laughs) that um you know and i've played it many times in concert and I so then to...
1: right now, so currently, what's this project like? So uh, so... Yeah, so the mm-hmm. project is
3: basically that the piece was written in 1972. Mm. And so to commemorate the 50th anniversary of the mm-hmm. composition of the piece, what I decided to do was to commission um, 11 composers plus me to mm-hmm. each write uh, one movement musical response to... movement of the original so basically what i did is to ask um these composers and say and basically give them free reign say you pick a movement Mm -hmm. and as soon as one person claimed a movement then that was it then this Mm -hmm. person is doing this movement Mm -hmm. and so by this process then i had you know 12 composers each writing uh one piece responding to to a wow. different movement and now drew
1: were you part of part of it part of it
3: yeah
2: so i was i think uh, nick mentioned because they're short pieces three minutes i think this oh okay uh, timeline for each one
1: yeah
3: so, so she was number 11.
1: okay
2: oh i thought she would be number one you yeah, <laughs> know I did, I did pick my
0: movement first so i was number <laughs> okay. one in that sense all right
3: okay. but, um, so yeah so now <laughs> there's you know so we have this now complete Mm. new cycle of 12 pieces that complement the original and so the program that I've been touring with Mm -hmm. and that I'll record next month is uh, the first half is the original volume one of the Macrocosmos and Mm -hmm. the second half is these 12 new pieces.
1: Incredible. And Juki
0: was your number 11 Sagittarius
2: then? I don't remember which zodiac sign it was that's awful. Gemini. (laughs)
1: Thank you. Oh, I see. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Got it. All right. Wow, I that's so. Look out for that. Yeah, but that's an incredible project. Thank oh, you, yeah. Tricky. So, one of the articles I read about you uh, says that you recently became a U.S. citizen. Yeah. Correct? Yeah. Congratulations. And guess what? So are Clara and I. It happened during Here's pandemic. My oh stock. my
2: gosh, congratulations <laughs> to
1: Yeah, So we both, three of us, we can, yeah, right? <laughs> so as easy, you know, I don't know about you, but the uh, green card process was extremely difficult for me. And, you know, and just, it was a nightmare, but US citizen was just, came just like that. It was the application was not as complicated as green card and, you know, so when the citizenship thing came, and I was in shock. In shock. It's like, oh my gosh, this is it, really? <laughs> right. So, actually, because of the pandemic, because and then during that time, get U.S. citizen, all these happen in one, one, once, and then now I'm just coming out of. We are coming out of the COVID and everything, and I have this U.S. I mean, I'm in a still process of. Do you yeah, and the, oh, especially yeah. yeah, right. And the, I, I, as much as you have, sort of complicated, you know, nas- national, racial, or national background, I do too. You know, I'm Korean, but born raised in Japan. But you know, in terms of identity, it's it's a very complicated thing. And then all of a sudden, yeah. and it also as an, you had the Indian passport before, right? Yes. Did you have to give up the, your?
2: Yeah basically the short answer is yes because india doesn't allow dual citizenship there's kind of a it's a different name it's Mm. not quite a passport but sort of like it
1: Mm, right well for me korean i was born raised in japan but i have a korean passport so i had to give it up so i know it's a very very strange thing and then it became a u.s citizen and then it's just a very simple thing i just became this one thing it's i'm still kind of adjusting to it now point i'm making is so what do you think of this identity right so how are you is it affecting you as a person with such uh creativity and how is it going to i don't know and the one wonderful thing about being in america is the freedom of expression and um it's limitless right so what do you think of that what do you think are you how are you processing it as a person and as an artist i
2: think that's a good question it's a complicated question i mean so much of it and i don't know if this was the same for you so much of it is kind of pragmatic things you know mm. i used to worry all the time about well how far ahead can you plan anything can you plan projects can you plan life
3: when you don't know
2: if in one year or two years or less you might just have to leave <sighs> Mm-hmm. so for that to suddenly with the citizenship that's all of a sudden that's off the table i just like this is a place that i can just stay and be and you know i suppose india was that before because i had a passport but i haven't lived in india since i was seven like it doesn't right it's a place i have connections to mm-hmm. but it's not doesn't feel like home exactly when i visit yeah, either yeah, yeah yeah, did you come here on the student visa as well yes F1? i did okay mm-hmm. yeah you know so you know the, the whole process the whole- of like TSA with a student visa and walking in with your international papers and like yeah you know i've had students worry about suddenly when money becomes a thing it's not just worrying about money but you're worrying about having to go home and Mm -hmm. like if your grades start to slip suddenly you're again like everything is so tied in tightly together one huge thing for me personally with the citizenship now as an american citizen i don't have to keep worrying about that
1: yes i totally relate to that yeah
2: (laughs) So you can even just this idea of, okay, I can plan. You never know what'll actually happen in three, four, five, 10 years, but Mm. you can make some choices that maybe try to work towards things. It's just one less huge unknown. And, uh, you know, just personally, also, Nick mentions uh, mentioned earlier this idea of traveling and how much we like to learn from other cultures. Yeah. On an Indian passport, when we used to travel together, so we would try to enter places together, and I'm on an Indian passport, and he's on the American passport. Mm-hmm. And I, I just, totally get, yeah, oh, and it's I remember crazy. just, you have a difference in treatment when you try to enter places, yeah. or like, I could stay for maybe a week total on an Indian passport, and Nick gets six months access or something, all these things. Mm. Um, As far as identity, I mean, it's complicated. Mm. I don't feel like, I I mean, I think similar to what you described, it feels strange to me. You have this piece of paper, this passport now, and it just says, now I'm American. Mm. I'm still Indian. I know I had to give up the passport, but Mm. I'm still Indian. I'm stopped being Indian. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, it's, it's very complicated, but I think one of the things that is cool and fantastic about globalization in a sense, maybe our modern world in a larger sense, is that so many people have these experiences, right? It's not just mm-hmm. you and it's not just Claire and it's not mm-hmm. just me. This is in a sense starting to become the norm. I hope things will be easier for people going forwards, but this kind it's of weird- though.
0: Artistic, you know, world, I feel like a lot of artists here in New York, you know, it's like maybe less than 10 percent of people are actually from here. I'm sure California, too. But, you know, maybe there are a bit more locals. Yeah. Yeah. They're changing. But the world, how, how, does right? that, how,
1: how, how does that affecting you as an artist? What do you think?
2: Um, in a pragmatic sense, a lot of it is opportunities. You know, mm. I remember when I was here on a student visa for composers specifically there's all these opportunities for composers but at the time so many of them were restricted to green cards and citizenship or only citizenship
1: Mm -hmm. so
2: like that was something very practical and pragmatic i noticed as a student i want to apply for all these things my colleagues could apply for and i just wasn't eligible to do it now there's this like huge amount of freedom even couple of grants that I applied for and got in the last year. They only happen, I couldn't have done it if I didn't have citizenship. I just wouldn't be eligible. Right. So, mm-hmm. Pragmatically, that kind of thing helps. And then it enables us to do projects. So like if you, you were asking earlier about that Waves of Change project. One of the grants that we got is to take that as kind of a starting point and build an album around it. And mm-hmm. kind it's of like, so highlighting women's stories, mm-hmm. like remarkable women's stories and building music around that. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of... It, You know, it's weird how things are tied so closely together, but without the citizenship, I couldn't have applied for the grant. I couldn't have gotten the grant. So kind of, and now that enables being able to continue with this project.
1: Well, thank you for sharing all that personal thing. I just thought I wanted to ask and it's, um, yeah we are all processing but also this complicatedness being so complicated is part of it right so we but i think in america this country allows me to be that so it wasn't that wasn't so easy in japan while i was living as a foreigner so yeah yeah so i'm very excited about this new chapter of my life (laughs) And anyway so I wish we had more time to keep going and going, but uh, we always have to you know, get to the next uh, place. Uh, so I just have a very last question for both of you. If you could briefly tell us uh, advice for young musicians, uprising musicians, upcoming musicians. Maybe just
2: to stay open-minded, to listen to everything you can get your hands on and to not let people box you into this style or that style or the other style. Mm-hmm. Yes, you have to focus on technique, but let yourself be adventurous enough to explore whatever is catching your interest musically.
3: Nick, how about you? I would uh, definitely say exactly what Juhi said kind of stole my thunder on that <laughs> one a little bit. <laughs> um yeah, I would say just keep open mind and open ears, you know, Mm. be willing to be adventurous and, Mm -hmm. you know, listen to and take inspiration from a variety of sources. Um, and of course, you know, just as in anything else, just work really hard, Mm. you know, and, Mm. you know, always, always do your, your best and put Mm the you know your absolute best effort into everything that you do because that that will pay off
1: Hmm.
0: that's beautiful well thank thank you you. so much both of you wow what a beautiful conversation we had and you know learn both of you know about both of you and your your style as composers as musicians and you know our nationalities and Mm -hmm. all of that it's just Mm -hmm. thank you again so now we go to the fun part of our. Show, Mm -hmm. (laughs) are you guys ready to fight? We are going to the rapid fire (laughs) question, and so me and Yukimi each will ask a question, and we would ask you to answer it as quickly as possible. So just shout out your answers. Whoever think of first. So are you ready? I'm going to go first. All right. What is your comfort food? Ramen. Ramen. (laughs) Woohoo! Nick. Cheeseburger all right you are american (laughs) all right
1: cats cats or dogs dogs
2: oh i used to love cats but i'm allergic so i kind of have to say dogs by default
1: (laughs) okay beautiful
0: what is your word or words to live by
2: be brave fearless Mm.
3: coffee
1: very important great um what is the most important quality you look for in other people honesty Hmm.
3: sincerity Hmm.
0: what is the worst quality in people you want to stay away from
2: dishonesty lack of integrity it's
3: okay Uh, i'll 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 i will uh i'll take that one yeah you're lack kidding. of integrity That's
0: right. okay <laughs> well you guys are good combination <laughs> go ahead
1: so oh it's me name three people who inspire you living or dead
3: my teacher at usc Bernadine blaha mm. um george crumb all right and i would say george washington
2: Great. Right. All right. Gosh, only three Yukimi. Okay. Off the yes, top <laughs> of my head, um, Malala, Jane Goodall, and maybe the Bangladesh Girls Surf Club. I'll put them in as a collective. Okay. You're the wonderful. Foe. Love that. Name one piece in your current playlist mm. John Harbison's Mirabai songs. Mm. All right.
3: Another John composer. Nick. I was uh, just listening to Road Movies by John Adams. all right John oh, okay. Adams. Yeah.
1: Very Wonderful. Cool. Mm-hmm. Name one book title in your library. Listening to Wales. 1984.
0: <laughs> you get only one piece or song to listen to for the rest of your life. What is it?
2: How did John Adams? Uh, excuse me, John Luther Adams become ocean just because it's so long. Okay. Who?
3: <laughs> Man, this is a tough one. I know. Mm-hmm. My goodness.
1: Everybody hates it.
2: <laughs> you could do the ring cycle, you could borrow my like lengthy. <laughs> there you
3: go. I'm tempted to say John Cage 433. Yeah, that's right. <gasps> That's yeah. not the That's first
2: a time one. someone
1: printed yeah.
0: out, but very good. one. Good,
1: good, good answer. All right. The last question. Music is blank. Fill in the blank. Amazing. Great. It's amazing. Nick. Life. Life all right right ding 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 that's it wow you won great good job (laughs) now nick and i can fight over who actually won
0: well you can find tonight. Well, yes. Thank you so much. So thank you, guys. The episode of The Piano Pod. Thank you, Juhi and Nick, thank you. Uh, for joining us today mm-hmm. and sharing your stories, your mm-hmm. insights, your expertise. We want to encourage our audience to check out Juhi's website for her uh, latest projects at uh, juhibanso.com. And Nick's uh, Marco Cosmos, 50 project at his website at the NIC, uh, Nick Gurb, Uh I still cannot say your last name. Kirby. Why did you say Kirby. it for me? Kirpy.com. The links are listed in the description below
1: thank you to our wonderful audience and fans for tuning in if you enjoyed today's episode please rate and review on whatever podcasting platform you use if you are watching us on youtube remember to hit the thumbs up button and be sure to subscribe to our channel you can also find us on facebook twitter instagram and linkedin the links are in the description below
0: If you're interested in being the guest or recommending someone to be on our show as a guest or if you'd like to sponsor or collaborate with us, shoot us an email at thepianopodmyc at gmail.com or send us a DM via social media.
1: We will see you for the next episode of The Piano Pod. Bye everyone and thank you, Nick and Juhi. Thank you so much much for joining us.